I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the podcast of a woman named Rad and a man named Paul. Welcome to Game for Anything. I'm Rad. And I'm Paul. And in this episode of Game for Anything, we go on an excursion as London's immersive game box comes to Sydney and we take a leak. That's right. Insomniac <laughs> have a wee bit of a problem. Oh, we certainly have opinions. And the gaming world has a lot of opinions about this leak, actually. What's really nice is seeing people kind of rally and in solidarity of Insomniac. What were your reactions when you heard about the leak? Paul, you have to start with what the f*** happened. That's a good point. Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Assume knowledge is the killer of good content. So on December the 12th, a hacker group, Reseda, hacked into Insomniac Games, and these are the people who made the Spider-Man games, hacked in and then threatened to release all their data unless they paid, it was 50 Bitcoin, which I think is about $2 million USD, unless they paid the ransom. Can you imagine if the price of Bitcoin absolutely plummeted just for a short period of time? Like, interim. surprisingly. Yeah, in that interim. <laughs> 50 Bitcoin, that'll be $37. And I'm like, well, okay then. Do you think they'd honor the agreement or do you think they'd tailor it? Um, well, there's no honor amongst thieves, am I right? That's exactly right. The problem is they only did it for the money. They didn't do it because they wanted to see game footage. They just wanted the money. What they did is they said, look, we don't care who pays us but someone needs to pay us on this dark web auction site by the allotted time. But nobody paid, so they dumped 1.67 terabytes of information online. Ooh, yeah. so wait, did they like email Insomniac and be like, hey guys, we have your stuff, this is where the auction is, you better win it? I think, <laughs> imagine if that, well look, I think that's what they did, but they also were um, putting up certain types of data for auction right so 98 percent of the data went online in this dump two percent was sold oh yeah and the alarming part is what was actually put online wait wait do we know who it was sold to no okay it was the dark web so okay probably like evil wizards or something but it was (laughs) (laughs) that's what i assume the dark web is it's so it was footage and files from the upcoming wolverine game and because it's insomniac it's kind of open world third person game uh the full plot and cast details game plan animation videos game files design documents and then 12 years of games that they're going to be releasing so their entire slate 12 years yeah so more spider-man games more ratchet and clank games and a new ip that was being launched and an apparent extension of the wolverine game into an x-men franchise of games which nobody knew about i mean i feel a little bit bad that i'm excited by that news (laughs) because obviously it has been obtained by like pretty awful means and it also backs insomniac into this weird corner Mm. where there's all this expectation on what they're going to do that they're not ready for and it's like a coming out right like you need to be ready it should be on your own terms yeah it sucks that somebody is taking that away from them also for capitalist reasons that's like the worst reason it's so bad and the thing is you know how some people come out and it's met very warmly and everyone's excited and some people come out and it's terrible i glanced past the footage i quickly scrolled past 
podcast, but all the feedback is, guys, this looks really good, which is, it's nice, I guess. But part of the problem is, of course, the, the, the shine is off the Apple. I mean, all kinds of business stuff was also ruined, publishing deals, uh, budgeting, strategy documents, uh, Insomniac's thoughts about really specific stuff, uh, including rivalries between different studios. So lots of oh, dirty no. laundry. Now, the part that isn't fun, Rad, is this. The breach includes internal developer Slack communications, internal HR documents, disciplinary records, oh. videos of, uh, of, of private meetings, employees' personal details down to their T-shirt sizes, and scans of employee passports. Oh, my gosh. Which means I think about 300 Insomnia employees may have just been doxxed. I feel like that may cause an exodus of talent. It's really scary. There's a certain subset of gamers who aren't particularly warm towards uh, game developers when they try and insert anything nuanced political, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah. forward or in, in any way. And this group has done ransomware stuff before. Uh, they've been on watch lists. They've attacked hospitals. They've attacked government organizations, not-for-profits, and the British Library. So they're not... They don't, they <laughs> don't, don't really... Leave the books alone! <laughs> no. Yeah. It, look, it's... It's really scary, and I was trying to find a positive, fun angle on this, and the only one I could find you already raised, and that is that the game looks really good. But I don't know how I'd feel as an employee of this place. I don't know if I'd feel safe, frankly. Certainly not. Mm. And I mean, I'm not sure that you can blame Insomniac for this. Mm. Um, Obviously, I don't know the details of how hacking even works, to be honest. Like, maybe they were using a system that is known to not be quite as robust. Maybe this hacking group targets people that use a certain system who knows but uh, yeah i don't think that uh i don't think that insomniac can necessarily be blamed for this but i just hope that there isn't um a bunch of people who leave the company because they're like oh i don't feel safe here now because they do make very good games oh my god they're so good and here's the disturbing thing read the hacking rad so a an outlet actually interviewed the hacking collective and uh they were asked how long it took them to do the hack and they said 25 minutes what? 25 minutes? Do you think to... they're lying just to look like big dogs? If they're dick swinging, I'm sure... I don't know. Because the thing is, look, when I think about hacker collectives, I'm an idiot. <laughs> when you think about <laughs> on a breezy Sunday afternoon, hey, what hey, am I going to think about today? I'm just going to lie on a hill, stare at some clouds and think about hacker collectives. <laughs> so here's the thing. When I think about hacker collectives and when I think about thieves in general, I think about... Thieves doing good. I know that's Mm. naive, but I love the idea of a hacker collective taking down, I don't know, a pedophile ring or something, right? Mm. You know, taking down the bad guys. But they don't. They go for low-hanging fruit. They go for people who they know will feel obliged to pay them. But God help me if there isn't some hacker collective out there that is doing something noble for humankind. Do you think there's any version of a hacker collective that is good? And I know we're all imagining Angelina Jolie and Neon, but... (laughs) Can hackers do good? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's a really, really useful skill, especially in 2023. We hear a lot about uh, hackers that are very successful that then get hired by security companies to, what did they call it? Reverse hacking, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a great trope of, uh, you know, catch me if you can. Yeah. You've got DiCaprio on the run and then Tom Hanks goes, how would you like a job? And he gets a job. Now, uh, yes, I'm sure there are some errant hackers out there uh, employed by the government, but as you and I have pointed out before uh, to each other, the government isn't always going to use those hackers yeah. to do good stuff, are yeah. they? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Uh, but then, you know, you're then dealing with vigilantes and you're taking guesses and stabs at moral barometers uh, and what people are going to do. And that just, it just gets tricky, doesn't it, Paul? Yes, and it's ironic given that the games that have been leaked are all about vigilantism. <laughs> 
look, I'm, I may ruffle some feathers by saying this, but I think I would feel a lot less sympathetic if they had hacked a mega corporation like Coles or Woolworths or like Amazon <laughs> that are making, you know, billions of dollars in profit yeah. off of what is essentially a cost of living crisis. Mm. I don't know why I said essentially. It is. It is. It is. Um, rather than the creative arts that are, you know, I just, they're, they're not hurting anyone. Here's the thing. If you <laughs> hacked the self-checkouts across Australia for one day so Ooh. that everything was free... And mm. the machines couldn't be rebooted. If you could do that, I think that would be very Christmassy, mm. almost Robin Hood esque. It would be. And just for the record, we are not condoning, nor <laughs> encouraging, nor asking no. for anyone to do these things. We're just saying hypothetically, you know, corporations aren't people, and I don't care for the price gouging that we've seen. I'm not saying that lemons are the people's fruit and you should willingly steal them from self-checkout. I'm not saying that. No. I'm not saying you should hold it in your hand, pretending you already paid for it. But I am saying that you should steal lemons, just across the board. <laughs> well, you know, they say when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, and a place that you can drink lemonade while doing something <laughs> fun. Longbow. That's a longbow to draw. You know, I prefer a longbow to a shortbow because I just think there's something nice about a man in a little pointed hat, uh, large sleeves. I prefer a compound bow, which could take down both. Uh, have you seen bow fishing before? No. I've watched people do bow fishing in like gutters in, I think, Florida, Wait, potentially. Is there an arrow, like a rope on the end of the mm -hmm. arrow? So you yeah. can pull it back afterwards, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's crazy. What do you mean gutters? On the side of the road, there's like big gutters that are basically kind of like rivers. Because it's wet, right? You gotta... Water's gotta go somewhere. But you don't need to... You just stand there and grab it, surely. How are you gonna grab it? You think you're that good. You think your hands are that quick that you can grab a fish. Why not? It's no. Better... Did you not watch Mulan where they had to like train for hours and hours to try and grab the fish out of the river? And that was a cartoon. Yeah, you're right. You know what? I should have paid more attention to Mulan. Make a man. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But bow fishing, very interesting. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we yesterday went to a preview of the immersive Gamebox experience that has come to Sydney, uh, right next to the Sea Life Aquarium in Darling Harbour, brought mm. to you by the same people. Uh, this is an experience or kind of interactive game thing uh, that first started in London, and they've essentially brought the same technology, the same format to Sydney. Yeah, it's like eight freestanding kind of rooms, basically, in which the game is projected all around you. You wear these strange kind of rubber visors with these dongles on your head, and it's you, and uh, I think it's two to six people. The sessions go from like 30 minutes to apparently a couple of hours. There's like 13 games to choose from, but ostensibly you're inside a game box. Three of the walls have projections on them, and the game we played was Squid Game. Which is not a game that I would have thought made the jump to video game in a family-friendly environment, given the existential grimness of the Netflix <laughs> show on which it's based. But first things first, did we have a good time? I would say we did. There were certainly moments of a lot of laughter yeah. um, and merriment and silliness. So we played this with three people. Can I just say, I think having six people in that room would be nightmarish. There's a lot of glass. I think <laughs> you're at real... Yeah, <laughs> and you have to start at the back wall, which is a glass wall mm. uh, that you come in through. 
And by the way, this does mean that people walking around can watch you play. Yeah. Which I feel is a little... I, I get it from an aesthetics perspective. It makes the place feel more dynamic. Uh, but from a I'm inside the box running around perspective, bit uncomfortable to have a child standing like inches away from the glass staring at you. Uh, but when you have to back up against this wall to like start a, a game or a round, mm. the wall is not that stable. No, and it's got a trough for your drinks. It's got hooks for the glasses and you put your bags against the window. So you're backing into stuff. Mm. And essentially, because the room's not very big, you're backing into other people who are waiting for their round. Once you're in the middle of the room darting about, you do for a moment kind of forget the, you know, the limitations of the space and you're having fun. But I think there was a point in there where I realized I was extremely hot, sweaty, and confused. Now that could be a slight against my cardio abilities and not the game itself. But we ended up playing, I think, probably eight different mini games throughout this Squid Game session. All of them kind of based on the games within the show. And there were points where I was having a lot of fun. It was very competitive. One thing it does is track you on a 2D plane. I didn't realize this, so I was jumping, <laughs> ducking, and throwing myself around, which was just generating needless work. Yeah. So if you imagine uh, each hat, and there's different colors to identify the different players, has kind of like a geometric shape on top with sort of sticks sticking out in different patterns yeah. and motion tracking little silver balls on top. And then they've got sensors on the ceiling that track where you are, as you said, on a 2D plane. So mm. the great thing about that is uh, people in wheelchairs would be able to play as well because you aren't having to jump and duck, even though we definitely <laughs> did because there's something instinctive about thinking, you know, if I need to move forward and I crouch that, that makes sense. Yes, but actually everything that's happening on the screen is mapped in an odd way. So the screen is a top-down. The, the, the maps on the game are always top-down. So to move forward in space... So to move to the top of the screen, you have to walk forward, and to move to the back, you walk to the back of the room. It was, feels counterintuitive, but actually... If you, you reckon? Well, it felt counterintuitive to me. That's why I kept kind of crouching down and going up and down like yes. an absolute idiot. yeah. You know, because you start to assume that it's mapping you in a normal way, but it's not. But some of the games it worked really well with, uh, there were some that were kind of trivia based. There was one where an avatar on the screen was jumping along a glass bridge and you had to use patterns on the left and right of the room and memorize them. So it was really kind of a trivia game. There was a marble based game. There was the actual titular, titular, idiot, uh, squid game where you had a small character on the screen top down who had to run through a sort of maze. It was at points extremely enjoyable. And yet I found myself, and we all found ourselves, wondering why the games were going on so long at certain points. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, I feel like each game went on about two minutes too long. Mm. You'd have this like really fun moment, and then you get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm just repeating the same thing. Yeah. Now, if you were to play with six players, there are a lot of moments kind of within the experience where you're taking turns. With three people, that felt pretty fine. You're getting a lot of turns. With six, I feel like there would be quite a lot of waiting around. And maybe that longer game time then makes sense because you have more time to actually have a go. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be waiting around. When you go to an escape room, you pay less money the more people there are, right? 
in this venue, uh, whether there's two or six of you, you're all paying the same amount. But I think the more of you in there, you're getting a, I think, a demonstrably worse and more panicky experience. Now, in some games, like a space team or whatever, the more kinetic energy and chaos there is, the more fun it is, right? Do you think this would be fun with six people? No, I think the room is too small. Yeah, okay. I think six people would just feel like you're not getting the full experience and also it's too crowded. And then six people's worth of like bags and coats (laughs) against that back wall. Like I know that sounds almost silly, but I really must say backing into the stuff was a very unpleasant experience and you have to back up uh, to start most of the games. They have a bunch of other titles that you can play. There's an Angry Birds one. Um, So yeah, family friendly. There's a Shaun the Sheep one. They've also got Ghostbusters. Mm. Oh, there's a whole bunch. I mean, there's a lot of different games there. One of the beefs I had, though, is the fact that they called it a game box. It's three walls. That's a game cup or bucket. You know what I mean? Like, if you're giving me a game box, I want to walk in and then the door disappears. Now, I believe in some of the London rooms, the uh, the door is part of... But you're only really using the front wall. Mm. And that led me to a realization, and that is that it reminded me of playing with a Kinect. Yes, uh, I do have to say the technology did not wow me. Mm. I've done other immersive experiences, both gallery-based ones where you're just watching things and things like Zero Latency, which is VR headset with a backpack on and Mm. you're kind of walking around a big warehouse. And I would say, you know, I'm fairly up to date with new technologies. I kind of know what's out there. I walked in and clocked pretty quickly, essentially, the technology they were using and how it worked. Yeah. Obviously, there's probably details that I'm not privy to. Um, I'm not an absolute expert, but nothing there that I was like, oh, wow, like, this is incredible. The projectors and animations felt just a little too low res mm-hmm. uh, to really wow me. And because the room is a... I'm going to say box. It it has it has square corners. Yes. The projectors didn't line up perfectly and it's a small thing but for a premium experience those things are taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the game was fun. We did have fun, but the question is how much would you pay for this experience? A lot of the selling point uh, in kind of the marketing is that it's a bit groundbreaking, yeah. right? It's like something that you've not experienced before. And I guess that is true to an extent, but it wasn't things that uh, surprised me. And therefore, it doesn't have that novelty mm. alert enough. We walked out of there speculating on price a little and sort of decided that maybe a good model for it is that you pay for a room, yes. right? Yeah. So if you can get more friends along, it becomes a little bit cheaper per head. Or if you want to go on a date with just one other person or more, if it doesn't matter. Um <laughs> You squid game to kill off the prospective partners <laughs> emerge with the strongest. Yeah. I was thinking polyamory. I wanted to be inclusive. But, you know, uh, <laughs> if you were going with just one other person yeah. and it's maybe a little bit more special than you're paying a bit more, that seems fine. Especially because there isn't a clear reason why it needs to cost more for mm. each person. Yeah. But that's not how they price. They do per person. And it is, it is expensive. Expensive. Yes, it really is. So each game does cost something a little bit different depending on how long it is, but the 60-minute Squid Game game that we played 
was $67 per person with a 3% foreign transaction fee because the immersive game box company is based in the UK. I thought you meant it's because the company that runs Squid Game is in Korea and <laughs> we have to wire the money to them. Okay, so that's almost $70. Yes, yeah, so I would I would round up and say $70. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, especially when you kind of look around and consider how much, I would say, somewhat comparable experiences cost. Yeah, well, you can get a refurbished Xbox with Kinect and games on eBay for 110 bucks it's the one that runs the connect because you can't use the connect sensor bar with the new xboxes so these guys will refurbish the uh, like a compatible xbox a connect and a big games package and ship it out to you for 110 bucks i presume xbox one yeah it's xbox one and i loved the connect i'm sad that it's no longer a thing i think that microsoft just should have used their billions to continue subsidizing it and (laughs) developing for it because it was great and that is a is a wowie experience because it's in your home yeah um and yeah the technology felt somewhat similar you could also go to zero latency which is uh the company i mentioned before Mm -hmm. that does the vr headsets and backpacks and that is $59 for a half hour game per person. Okay. That I would say is worth it. That was tech that wowed me. They were doing things that I found surprising. And that really is a workout because you've got the backpack, which is not super heavy, but heavy enough, you know, and you're actually running around in a big space. So in some ways, like a half hour, you're a bit puffed. You're like, I feel satisfied by that. Yeah. Did you feel satisfied after the immersive game box 60 minutes? Well, I'm susceptible to humidity and heat as it stands, Rad. Uh, After 60 minutes of extreme heat, humidity, sweat, whatever, I had such a good time actually playing the games. But when I reflected back later on, I realized I was only having fun about uh, 50, 60% of the time. I don't think it was worth it. There was a lot of padding, a lot of menus. Um, The Ghostbusters game goes for longer, but apparently there's a lot of cutscenes, a lot of dialogue, in which case you're basically paying to stand up in a movie that is being projected at subpar resolutions on a (laughs) screen all around you. Yeah, I got to a point where I was like, I'm done, not... I've had so much fun, you know? We should also mention that there were technical difficulties. Mm. I think it took about 15 to 20 minutes to get us in a room that was working, which... You know, it's it's a brand new launch uh, that could just be teething problems. We did look up some reviews for the London one, which has been running a lot longer. And some people said that it had similar issues. The hats were very uncomfortable as well. So all these all these little things that stop it from being a absolute, wow, I had a great time experience, I think really do add up. You could say the same thing for zero latency. Headsets are very uncomfortable. The backpack's a little bit heavy. But when the content is that good, you start to forget about it. Obviously, as well, Gamebox is right next to Sea Life, which is the aquarium. (laughs) It costs about $40 for an adult ticket to the aquarium. And you can spend as long as you like in there. It's not a a cut-off 60 minutes. It is, if you want to spend the whole day staring at a shark you are welcome to do so. If you want to hide there and make sure you're still locked inside when they close, I'm not. Re- we're not recommending you steal lemons or hide in sea life. But <laughs> if you want to, basically you can wring as much joy and time out of this as possible. And also you are paying for the upkeep of actual animals. You are interfacing with real things. You can't have a manatee at your house unless you're Mike Tyson, right? This is not a thing you can just have, but you, but you can have a connect at your house. You can. Yeah. And I think the experience of something more tactile Mm. is really nice. So you could go to an escape room for about $60 per person or, you know, it varies depending on uh, where you go. But there's often a lot of effort and set dressing and 
surprise and whimsy that goes into these. They're very, very crafted experiences mm. that are there to do something unexpected. They charge a lot of money. They charge a premium amount because you can't play them again. Once you've done an escape room, you're done. So they know that you're willing to pay a large amount. These games are made to be replayed. I saw a family across from us playing Angry Birds, playing Angry Birds, paying large amounts of money to play Angry Birds in a... I mean, I've played it on a plane before. It's, it, anyway, so <laughs> escape rooms vary in price. And as you mentioned, there's all these other elements you're paying for. You're paying for pretty much a dungeon master to be there on the walkie-talkie doing a weird accent and talking you through the experience. But there's also other screen-related experiences that you can't replicate. You can walk across to IMAX and see Wonka at IMAX for $38 per person. And that is a state-of-the-art experience. It's well, I think like two hours and it's air conditioned and it, the seats are incredible. Now, not every experience should be equivalent, but I feel like this with some tweaks, I feel like this could actually maybe be worth people's time. I feel like it's a step in the right direction, potentially. I'm really excited that there is investment in more experiential things that are using cool tech mm. because at the same time, not everyone is going to think to buy a Kinect. It's not going to be worthwhile for everyone, but spending some like fun family time or even a corporate uh, team building day yes. could be really fun. And, you know, it's just all the little bits of enrichment in life of we still have to have these things that you can kind of go to and do something different rather than going to the aquarium every single time. Yes. However, I don't think that I can get behind it at this price point because there were too many issues and I simply can't see the value. And when you're doing something like this in a cost of living crisis, essentially, <laughs> it's it's a hard sell for me. Yeah, it's difficult as well because there are lots of things you can go and do in different cities that have a real, like you said, uh, as with the sea life, it's a very tactile thing, right? You could support local artists and go see a concert. You could, I mean, Tegan and I were in Paris last year and we went to the catacombs. So beneath... Paris are these ancient ossuaries where basically they reached a point back in the 17th century where they ran out of space to bury bodies. So they just put bones in old mine shafts. And then in the 19th century, they rebuilt it into this incredible series of shafts and chasms. And there's all these sculptures and tunnels. It costs 23 bucks oh. for like a 90 minute tour through the creepiest, most Indiana Jones grade bullshit I've ever seen in my life. Well, it's also deeply historical. Yeah. And that's something that I think sticks with you. I don't think that the immersive game box is going to stick with me. Yeah, and when I did try to do touchscreen with the bones, they told me to stop. <laughs> Actually, that's also a little bit of a bone I have to pick with game box. <laughs> it's said that it has touchscreens. They're not touchscreens. It's like proximity sensors to the wall mm. for a touchscreen effect, but also it it can like misread and it was registering me as touching the wall when I was a good six centimeters away and that really screwed up my marbles game <laughs> yes and also realizing that we're standing in a large room sweating profusely playing marbles for 67 dollars would be a very humanizing experience now i just want to quickly look back to one more thing there are probably families as you said who don't have access to connects and uh the kids are bugging them to go and do something and they don't want to go to another goddamn museum or whatever this might be a really great way to kind of split the diff but again the, i keep coming back to the price point Sean the Sheep was $38. It is cheaper to play the kids' games. So Ghostbusters and Squid Game, the big licensed properties, cost more. But shouldn't they cost less? Shouldn't the distributors be subsidizing these things? I think so. If you're going to make me play your IP, <laughs> yeah. then I think it should be... It's a promotional thing for your own content, right? Yeah. So make it cheaper. Yeah. But $38, I think, for the kids' game is still too expensive. Often you know, families will have maybe two, three kids. Um, and that really, really starts to add up. 
you can go to the shopping center and hire one of those like big motorized stuffed toy things that you sit on and drive around. Oh. And I think they're like 20 minutes for $22 or something. You know some really fun, cheap kids entertainment? Seeing how many lemons they can steal. (laughs) (laughs) And that is it for this episode of Game for Anything before Paul gets us arrested. Uh, Thank you for listening. And if you've got an idea for some fun experiences. We would love to hear about it because we love experiencing stuff. We do. And we will see you over the Christmas and New Year's period with all kinds of really cool things. But in the meantime, see you soon for more Game for Anything. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.